I'll give a quick report on uh, Mexico. Um, am I turned on? <clears throat> um, so last week on Tuesday, I guess, is Luke here? Who's Luke? Hey, Luke. Luke and I escorted uh, Juliana Hauser down to uh, Ayutla, Mexico. And we, uh, we, we got to do a couple of pretty interesting things. One, we got to see the uh, new land that we purchased for the, the new church. It was really anointed. Um, and um, uh, we, we, didn't, we didn't really expect it, but when we got up there, the whole church was up there. Uh, all of the believers from uh, Condelaria had come over, and they, they had a meal for us. And so we got to pray and see the land. I, did, did you get a picture of it? Did I, did I send a picture? Okay, great. And so um, Peter asked me, he said, so what do you think? Well, it's got boulders about this big, every 10 feet. And um, it's between two mountains, and it goes down to the valley. And it's just as rough as a cob. And so I, I, I just told him, this is beautiful, Peter. This is wonderful. Um, and uh, I was trying to think in terms of uh, Mistec. And so we got to be there and see the land. And it's, it's really exciting. They're all very, very excited. They've already got their plots laid out. And, and architects already looked at it. And they, they're, they're pointing to where the commissario is going to be and then where the church is going to be right at the center of town. Most of the little villages down there, the center of town has a little uh, park or uh, town square and it has a big Catholic church. They're going to have a Protestant church in the square, and they're really excited about that. So that'll be interesting. I hope you get to go down. Then uh, the second thing we got to do is um, we'd never been to Kashi before, which is a Tlapanek village. Uh, it's about 6,000 feet above sea level, and here's what's really interesting in it. Only 1% of all the people in Kashi own a washing machine. And guess what we got to deliver to uh, Peter's daughter? A washing machine. And now 1.5 out of every uh, household uh, has a washing machine. Uh, but it was really beautiful. It, the, uh, it, you know, as you got higher, sort of the vegetation changed and got up into the pines and it was cold and uh, there was a river running through the, the, the town. And so we've never been there with the team and it's pretty far. I don't know if we'll ever get to go to that town, but... Uh, pretty soon we'll be doing a uh, medical team in Monte Sinai, which is Mount Zion, or Mount Sinai in, uh, in Spanish. So praise the Lord. Juliana's down there. Remember her in prayer. If you've never been to Mexico, if you've never stayed for an extended period of time, how many of you have been on a, at least a, a five to seven day trip? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, that's a lot of you. We'll be, uh, we'll be going back down uh, in a couple of months but if you've never been, after about 10 days, I don't know what it is. It's really, it's really interesting. Um, it's, it's real, you know, it's, you're, you're seeing everything when you get there, and uh, everything's new. You're tasting new food, new food. But at about 8 to 10 days, all of a sudden, most people get this deep cultural, I want to go home. And uh, so Jules will probably hit that. So be praying for her. You just have to push through it. And after you push through it, you sort of get acclimated. But um, when you're in, a, in a, another place, you have no other Americans, and you're 
uh, trying to find your place and what you need to do. Uh, there's a lot of spiritual warfare that goes on, so pray for her. One of the primary things we've asked her to do is to get to know Santa. Uh, a lot of you all never met Antonio before he passed away, but he was uh, like an assistant pastor to Pedro, and he died a long, uh, a long time ago, really. And so we've been supporting her, and so Juliana is going to personally uh, get to know her and get a little more vested in uh, her family and what's going on. And then from that, we hope to spread out to a couple of other widows down there. So just be praying for Juliana, that she'll find her place and she'll get the inroads and relationship with the people that she wants to, wants to get to know. So it was a great trip. Thank you all very much for carrying on here while we were gone. And I'm glad you made it without Luke, but he's back. And so uh, uh, things can, can move ahead. All right. Well, we are in the book of Psalms. And um, tonight, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to... Just go through Psalm 117. Uh, has anybody memorized it yet? You may have it memorized before the evening is over. Um, but it's Psalm 117. And uh, to understand the setting of this psalm, uh, go back in your mind to about the year 500 B.C. And just think of yourself as a Jew that's been in captivity in Babylon. You've returned. The psalms have been put together in a book. You turn to book five of Psalms. And you open up to this song. And, um, and as a Jew coming back from Babylon, or as a Jew at any point in time, your life really centers around understanding who you are in relationship to God. You live by a couple of promises that are, that are spoken almost every day. It's like every day people will, will, will remind you that you are a son of Abraham. We are the people of promise. Back in Genesis chapter 12, God had promised Abraham, you will be blessed. I am going to bless you. And I am going to make you a blessing to every nation in the world. And so God continued to work with Abraham and his family until they became a kingdom. And after they became a kingdom, God spoke to, I guess it was the second king, and told him, you know, you are going to be established as a king. And then throughout eternity, there will always be someone from your lineage sitting on the throne. And so any Jew at any point in time after that, they always believed that Israel was going to be a people that had a king after the lineage of Jesus and that they were going to be blessed and be a blessing to the rest of the world. Ever since God had made that first blessing to Abraham, they had gone into captivity. They had become slaves. Uh, they had, many of them had died in a wilderness. They'd been attacked on all sides. Uh, they uh, had, uh, had a terrible king at times. They'd gone into captivity again, but all the way through, they always believed it may be bad now, but God has promised. And they lived as a people of promise, no matter what they went through. And so when they gathered these psalms together, remember the psalms were gathered in books as one psalter uh, right after the time of captivity. So they pulled them all together, and they had, uh, had this psalm there, Psalm 117. So turn to 117, if you will. 
And just remember, this song has tapped into this sense of, of, of uh, greatness, this sense of purpose, this sense of being the people of God. And here's the first two lines. Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise Him, all ye people. Now, don't go too far until, until I mention a couple of things. Get it in your mind. Someone who is Jewish, it's 500, 450-ish uh, B.C. You've been in captivity, but now you're back. And you open up your Psalter. You come to this song. And this song says, Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise Him, all ye people. So, to get us oriented correctly, I, I, I want to point this out. It's in the imperative. It's, it's not, oh, hey, everybody, praise the Lord. I just want to praise the Lord for everybody. It's saying, you praise the Lord, all you people. Does that make sense? You understand the imperative? Out of this promise that they were going to be a blessing to the rest of the nations, this Jew is saying, Hallelujah, I know who I am. God has blessed me now. Nations, bless the Lord. And so in a sense, this is an evangelistic song. It is a song declaring to others, listen, worship God, praise Him, exalt Him. And one of the things about Jewish poetry is they use parallelism. This is a synonymous parallel. And what that simply means is the same thing is said twice. And both times, this command to praise the Lord, it's two different words, but it, they both mean to praise the Lord in its command. Praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise the Lord, all ye people. And so two different words are used for praise. That's a parallel. Two different words are used for groups of people. One is nation and the other is peoples. And the thing about parallelisms, the main thing is if they say it twice, it's really important. But also, and not every time, there's some nuanced differences. And so, now I've looked at a few commentaries, and so this may be true, it may not be true. Um, these nuances are very hard to, to determine in, in other languages. But when they would speak about the nations, they would sort of have in mind this idea of of a, a, a cultural unit in other places and think in terms of the promise, a blessing to many nations. But then when it would say peoples, uh, they would be thinking about smaller groups, maybe even individuals. But the thing is, it says all nations and all peoples. And so this person, having been delivered from Babylon back in Israel... And I'm not saying that it was written then. I'm just choosing any Jew that had come back that might be singing this song. He said, all nations, all nations, all peoples praise God. But not in the sense of uh, uh, sort of a humanistic hope, but the real sense that God is my God. <laughs> Let me tell you, we've been through it, but look at us. We're back and God is going to bless the nations through us. And I wonder, I wonder what kind of cadence this is. You know, when you, when you read a psalm, you, you try to think, now what kind of song 
would that be? This would be a march song, you know. This would be a, a cheerleading song. It, it, this would be on, on, U of K kind of song. Uh, yeah! Everybody, come on, praise God, all you nations out there. All you nations. So from Abraham all the way up through David, all the way up to this period of time, they have the sense of, of, of this charge, and this song picks it up and puts it in a song. Go get them, all right? But it doesn't end with the Old Testament. This whole idea that God is going to bless a people and make them a blessing doesn't end. We all know that ultimately what happens is Jesus Christ comes born of the lineage of David and becomes king. But this whole idea among the people of God that God has blessed a people to bless the rest of the world doesn't end. That should be in our heart. We should have songs. God has blessed us now. World, worship Jesus. World, worship Jesus. It should be alive inside of us. Paul understood this. It was alive inside of him. If you want to turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 12... Verse 11, I'll, I'll just read this. Um, well, let me start in 10. Romans 15, 10, 11, and 12. And again he says, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and loud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah uh, saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. So let me pull that one line out of the middle, which is the line that we read tonight out of uh, verse 1 here in 117. And again, um, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, or nations, and loud him, extol him, all ye people. That's an exact quote of our psalm. But it appears in Romans 15, and Paul has explained this. He's, he's, he, he's trying to explain them how the, to them how this has all come together. And previously he says, so God sent Christ, and Christ ministered to the Jews. The circumcision, he says. Christ came and ministered to the circumcisions, the circumcision... He didn't minister circumcisions. He ministered to the circumcision. And it says that he did that to confirm the promise of God. Christ came to complete the promises of God that he had made to the Jews. But then it goes on and it says, So all of the Gentiles would trust in God. And so it's that same thought brought into the New Testament, but now it's no longer any Jewish person who is reading out of the Psalter, but it's all the people of God. God is made of twain, one new man, and now that's the song that should be in our heart. Praise God, everybody. Hallelujah. We are the people of God, and now let's declare to the world, you need to praise God as well. And so when the song was sung earlier... They were singing to us. It was a prophetic song that Israel sang, Praise the Lord, all ye nations, all ye peoples. But guess what? We were those nations. 
We were those people. And now we have been grafted in. Romans is all about this. Now we no longer have this song sang to us, but now guess what? We sing this song. Praise the Lord, all ye nations. Jesus ended his ministry with, Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Hallelujah. So now we get to sing this song. We can be in the choir. We're not just sitting there as an audience. But now we have been grafted in to that eternal plan of God that's always been on his people. I want to bless you with the purpose of making you a blessing to other people. And so now you have a song that you can sing. Thank you, Larry. As a matter of fact, we'll get back to hallelujah in just a minute. All right? Actually, it begins off with, uh, I think it says, Hallel et Adonai. It's, it's the hallelujah, Hallel. All right. So he's gone through and he's, he's, he's tapped us in now uh, to, well, in, in, let's go back to 500 B.C. He's, he's tapped them into this thing about um, being the ones who are going to bless the nations. But then in the next line, what he does Oh, wait, I, wanted, I, wanted to, I wanted to share one more verse. I, I, I turned back to my notes. So Paul brings us into this nation of Israel that can sing this song, but it doesn't end there either. Uh, as you move ahead in the Bible, everybody knows what the last book in the Bible is. Um, in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, it says this, And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. Out of every kindred, kindred and tongue and people and nation. 500 B.C., they didn't know they were singing to us. They didn't even know that we existed. But they were singing to us. And Christ has come and he's grafted us into the song. Now as we sing the song, here's our promise. Hallelujah. We are part of a people who are going to see every tongue, every tribe, every nation reached with the gospel. And when we get to heaven, we are going to have been a part of that people who sang this song to the nations until they came in. Praise the Lord, all ye nations. Extol his name, all ye peoples. All right? That's the first, uh, that's the first set of, of lines. Now, the next two lines say, For his merciful kindness is great toward us, for great is his steadfast love toward us. So, you get this command. Worship God, everybody. But it's not just an empty. It's not just an empty command. It's not. It's not this legalistic law that God says, "All right, everybody, you got to bow down and worship me." But it gives the reasons that the nations should worship God, and there's really two reasons. It's His steadfast love and His faithfulness. His steadfast love and His faithfulness. And so now the person singing this song isn't just singing an empty command. But now he's relating his experience 
to those people. Hey, you guys, worship God, and let me tell you why. Because of his loving kindness. And because he's true to his word. And so, in a song, you know, we've talked about this. Uh, in a song, oftentimes one sentence will bring a dozen thoughts to your mind. And so whenever, whenever a Jewish person would talk about the steadfast love of God and the truthfulness of God, that, that's, those, that's, those two together appear uh, several times throughout the Old Testament. It's sort of the summation of who God is in his relationship to his people. He is merciful and he is faithful. Or he is loving and he is true. The two words are, I think, hesed and emet. But they're translated with either mercy or love and then faithfulness or true. And so the word hesed, you know, worship him because of his loving kindness or because of his unending mercy. The word hesed, it's a funny word. It's an interesting word. And it's, it's, it's very hard to define. Uh, I remember I was, when Lexington Theological Seminary was still in operation, I went in. And I found this book on Hesed. It was about 300 pages long. 300 pages on one word. But then I found several other books. Since that time, I've found many, many books that explain what Hesed is. And it's interesting, they all explain it differently. And so for me, one of the best ways for me to understand what a biblical word means is to just go and find out where it shows up in the Bible. And so I found two or three of those because I think it's real important. If we're going to call people to follow Jesus, if we're going to call people to worship God, we need to be able to communicate to them what his loving kindness is, what his mercy is. It's not, we have a tyrant in heaven who wants everybody to bow their knee, but we have a loving, merciful Father who's worthy to be worshipped. Now you guys come on and worship God. Come on and get in with us and be the people of God. So uh, I, I chose three places. It's really interesting. The word doesn't appear in context very many times. Most of the time when you see it, it says, God is merciful. And it's very hard to figure out what it means, you know. God is merciful. Well, what's the context? God. God is merciful. But there's a few places where, where you can see something happens, and they say this is the mercy of God. So let's, let's go to a couple of those. Um, first of all, Lot. Uh, everybody knows who Lot was. He was Abraham's nephew, and he had gone down to live in uh, Sodom. And Sodom, as we know, became more and more wicked, more and more evil. And so God sends angels to warn Abraham that he is going to destroy Sodom. And Abraham goes into this long debate and, 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 and sort of bargaining with these angels... Listen, and he finally said, look, if there's five righteous people there, will you spare it? And uh, yeah, sure. Uh, but there weren't five. And so the angels go, and they go to warn Lot. It's a, it's a terrible place. God is about to destroy it. And these angels go down, and they, they tell Lot, and they deliver Lot. And Lot says, oh, thank you so much. In Genesis 19, 19, here's what he says. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. 
and you have shown me great mercy. There's the word in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills lest the disaster overtake me and I die. So Lot saw God coming and delivering him out of that wicked place before it was destroyed. And he said, God, you're so loving. You're so merciful. You could have let me die with the wicked. I don't know. Lot may have thought, I'm wicked enough, I should have died. But God, you were so merciful to deliver me out of, out of sure disaster. And so when the world is falling apart around you, you know, I, I think I know the body pretty well, and, and, and some, some of you are real doomsdayers. Oh, COVID. Oh, the border. Oh, the taxes. and Oh, God. God is merciful. God is loving. God is kind. And God is not going to let you be destroyed with the wicked. Sing the song, everybody come and worship God because God is merciful. God delivers you from the wickedness. God delivers you because of his heart. He's made promise on you and you're his children. And he is going to deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Over and over in Psalms it talks about being delivered from, from the oppression that's around you. So live in the truth of the word of God. Don't live in the headlines whether it's conservative or liberal. All the headlines speak gloom and doom. But the truth is, we are the people of God, and he's merciful, and he will deliver us from a world that is falling apart. Can you say amen? Well, the next place that, that I found, uh, that, and, and I think both words appear here, both faithful and loving kindness, and... Um, it's when Abraham's servant was sent to get, uh, actually, Rebecca, a wife for Isaac, right? And so Abraham has left Mesopotamia, and he is now over in Canaan, and he has this servant, and he tells the servant, I want you to go, and I want you to find a daughter or a, a wife for my son. And so the servant travels a thousand miles. I think it's 986 miles um, by camel. I don't know how, how far you can go in a camel, on a camel. Uh, my grandfather smoked camels, but uh, I, I, I don't know how far you could go on a camel in a day. But you know, this, this is many, many days of traveling to get there. And when he gets there, he's been commissioned by Abraham to get the right person. And so when he gets there... He says, Lord, just when, the, when, when somebody comes out and I ask them for water and they offer to water the, the, the camels, let that be the person. So he's at the end of a thousand mile trip. He walks into the situation and the first woman that shows up is who? It's Rebecca. And here's what he says. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills. Oh, wait, no, that's not it. 
<laughs> Genesis 24, 27. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and faithfulness. There it is. There's that, those two words. Faithfulness and steadfast love toward my master. Here I am, a thousand miles. He loves his son. And he doesn't want him to marry outside of, of the covenant. You have loved my master, and because you've loved him, you have brought me to the right person. Oh, hallelujah. And so as God has called us, I mean, the, the way I would apply that for me is, God has given us many tasks to perform. God, God has a call on our life as, uh, as employees, as employers, as husbands, as wives, as children. And in the midst of the task that God has called us to, he loves us. We're not going to fail. We're not, we're not, not going to end up destitute because we couldn't get it done. God loves us, and God is the one who directs us and has purpose on our life. God is loving and kind and merciful. All right, the third one. Uh, who is this? Oh, yeah, it was Joseph. Um, verse 21 of uh, Genesis 39. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And so this is, this is where Joseph had already been, uh, been in trouble because Potiphar's wife had, uh, you know, had lied about him and his first master had, had lied about, the, the wife of his first master had lied about him, and he found himself in the prison. And here he is. He's been put in a hole. He's been lied about. Uh, he's still put in prison. And he becomes the head of the prison. And Joseph is like, Oh God, you are so merciful. Everything in the world is going wrong, but every time it goes wrong, you move me to the top. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You are so kind and merciful, and you extend to me privileges that I do not deserve. And so if you look at those three, you can get a, a picture of how, how, how the Jewish people would look back and understand the loving kindness of God. Whenever God's about to destroy something, he will deliver us. Whenever God gives us a task to do that's beyond us, he will make it come to pass. Whenever we don't know what to do, God's loving kindness will move on our behalf. So loving kindness, uh, merciful, you can always lean on that. And I'm sure when this guy sang this song, knowing he was part of Israel, declaring to others. He may have been one of those guys who had been brought back from Babylon. He may have been one of the people that lived in Babylon the whole time. At any point when they sang this song, they would look back in history and see how God had preserved their people. But I would bet every single one of them had a place in their life where God was just good to them and they didn't deserve it. Have you got a story like that? Does anybody in here have a story where God was merciful and kind and he worked life out for you when you didn't deserve it? 
or it was beyond your capacity, we could be here all night and I could talk about what an awesome life I get to live, but punctuated by the intervention of God when I couldn't do it, when I didn't deserve it, and when it was outside the realm of possibility. God wants to punctuate your life with his mercy and loving kindness. He wants to get involved in your life so that when you declare it to others that they need to worship God, you know the reason. Because he's kind, he's merciful, he's loving. Well, the next word is, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. And sometimes that word in truth is translated as faithfulness. Um, but all versions of the Bible translate the word, which I think it's emet. They translate it in their own translation, sometimes as faithfulness and sometimes as truth. So those two ideas overlap and it gives us a good understanding of what this word means. But it's not true in the sense of true and false, but it is true to a pattern. Uh, Brenda and I are thinking about having a house built. And I don't know if anybody has ever had a house built, but a lot of times what the plans say and what happens along the way are two different things. And so Brenda and I are talking to J.P. Barlow. Does everybody know J.P.? J.P. has this rep reputation. He has this reputation of wearing you out on the front end, telling you every single nail that he's going to put in that house. Just every detail over and over. But he also has this reputation, that when he's done, if you want to rip the drywall off the wall, you're going to find every single nail that he said he was going to put in there. He is true to his word. And that's what the word true here means. God is not... Jesus said, you know, heaven and earth will pass away, but what? My word will remain forever. Another place he said, not one jot or one tittle. And so we declare, people, you need to follow God because number one, he's loving and kind and you get much further than you deserve if, if, if you worship him, if you make him your God. But beyond that, every single thing God says is true. There's a few verses I looked up just to emphasize this as a theme that's over and over. I don't think it's coincidence. So this is the shortest uh, Psalm is, I think it's the shortest chapter in the whole Bible. It's only these two verses. And so it's, not, it's no coincidence that the longest chapter, what's it about? It's about the Word of God. Uh, 165 verses. And every single verse says either law, commandment, or word. Um, so I looked up a few verses, and I want to just share these to kind of uh, build us up in our faith about God keeping his word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So um, Psalm 138.2, and I think this one's significant. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. There it is. Thy loving kindness and thy truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Wow. 
you have magnified your word above your name. In other words, the good name of God is only excelled by his word. His name, his good name is established because of his word. He's exalted it. His contracts are always kept. His promises are yea and ever amen. And it's interesting, <laughs> that same idea of his mercy and his truth to his word comes in, in a couplet with this statement. Because your word, your word, your word is exalted above your name. Isaiah 42, 21. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. What God says he will do over and over to magnify his name. Isaiah 55, 11 says this about the word of God. It shall re not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. Another place it says, though it tarry, yet shall it come. When my word goes out, when I give you a promise, when I say it in my word, it will come to pass. It will not come back to me empty. Isaiah 45, 23, I've sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. In other words, my word has gone out and it is going to accomplish the bowing of the knee of every single person in the world. You can count on it. 1 Peter 23 through 25 now, this is also quoting from Isaiah. Since you have been born again, you haven't been born of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. You are born again by the Word of God. It was the Word of God that came to you and brought you to life. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. Somebody from Karen's church gave Brenda this bulb thing where these wonderful flowers come out. It takes them about three days to grow up about a foot and a half, two feet, and then they get these big, what's, what's that thing called, Brenda? I asked Brenda, not you. <laughs> Go ahead, hon, take the limelight. No, <laughs> thank you, Kathy. Amaryllis. And uh, they're beautiful, but they only last about a week. And then they're gone. I think they probably had those kinds of things in mind. The grass is beautiful. We love the flowers. But they only last a short while. God's word does not pass away. The grass withers. The flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. We live by the truth of God. God's word always accomplishes what it says it will do. People need to follow Jesus. People need to walk with God because he's kind and he's gracious. 
and because he has made many precious promises. And if they will live in the promises of God, they will flourish. But if they don't, the grass withers and the flowers fade. Israel called the rest of the world to worship God because they had experienced his faithfulness. They had seen his goodness and they'd seen that his word always came to pass. I've got some applications. First application, have we lost this thread? When you first read this psalm, does it hit you as, hey, everybody, praise God. I want to praise God all over the world. But do you live in this sense of, I want the whole world to praise God. I am I am of the lineage of Jesus. And there lives within me this sense, this purpose, this destiny that we are going to declare the kingdom of God and people are going to come into the kingdom of God. Have we lost that sense of we are here to bless others and because of God's blessing on our life, we can This psalm is so much more precious when you live as a son of God, as a daughter of God, blessed by God, filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing that there's purpose in your life. Number two, have you found yourself in a place where you've given up on God's faithfulness or his loving kindness? Maybe you're in a dark place Maybe for a reason, maybe for no reason. Maybe you don't feel like anybody loves you. Maybe you've kind of just become bored with it all and you're just existing. No. We are the people of God called to experience His fullness, His goodness, and the promise of His Word and be living in such a way that we can't wait to tell other people about what God has done. And here's a third one. And this is where you're just going to have to really believe the Word of God. And I think this, through no fault of your own, uh, may be someplace, uh, someplace that you find yourself. Maybe you have really wanted to see other people come into the kingdom of God. And maybe you've shared with your boss, your brother, your son, your dog, uh, you know, the guy down the street, and it just seems like nobody wants to follow Jesus. You need to make this your song. You need to realize that God is true to his word. You need to realize that that there is a destiny on your life if you've come into the kingdom of God. And maybe like the people that were in Egypt, or maybe like the people who were in Babylon, you don't see it right now. But you need to continue to believe what the Word of God says about all nations, every tribe, every tongue. There will be someone from from that place worshiping God, and you're a part of it in some way. And come to the place of faith and sing this song as though you believe that uh, you're, you're a child of God. Maybe you've given up on blessing others. Maybe you can't see God in your life. 
God's covenant mercy is working on your life right now. He is doing something in you that makes you more like Jesus. And the more like Jesus you are, the more his word is magnified in the earth. And so, you know, I, I, I shared about how the beginning Hillel, Hillel et Adonai, is not actually a hallelujah. And it's an imperative. It is getting in the place that you can sing this song to other people. You know what happens when you get in the place that you can really sing this song as it's meant to be sung? The last line. The last line is praise the Lord, but it's a different praise the Lord. It is hallelujah. It is not telling other people to praise the Lord. This is the way the song goes. All you nations, you need to worship God. All you people, you need to praise Him. Praise Him because of His loving kindness. Praise Him because of His truthfulness and faithfulness. Oh, hallelujah. The last one is a, it's, a, it, it's a exclaiming hallelujah. I see this. I see it. Yes, yes. Praise God, everybody. I'm a part. Oh, hallelujah, isn't this awesome? And you know, when, when I was getting ready to teach tonight, Jake, you can come on up. We're just going to worship at the end. When I was getting ready to teach tonight, I, I, I went and I was trying to look up where the word hallelujah appears in the Bible. Now, because I asked this question, you're probably going to guess the answer. But... How many times do you think the word, the English word, hallelujah, appears in the Old Testament? Zero. Goose egg. If you'd have asked me, I'd have bet you lots of money that it's probably 40 or 50 times. The word translated in the King James or ESV as hallelujah, it's actually a Hebrew word, hallelujah. It's always translated as praise the Lord. It's Hallel and then Yah, Hallelujah. But you never find it in English in the Old Testament. Guess how many times in the New? Four times in, in uh, Revelation 19. Uh, and so I'm going to read a little bit of that. Revelation 19. So... I'll probably just get to the first hallelujah, and then uh, we're going to worship. Um, so what have we talked about? We've talked about the fact that it was a, it was a song that this, these Jewish people could sing, and they were singing it to the future to us. But that song has come to pass. And Paul says, look, it came to pass. You were not, you're now a people. You're now part of it. You're grafted in. Yes. Psalm 117 has come to pass, and we're proof of it. We are the nations. But guess what? There's more to come. Now you're a part of it from the other side. You're in the choir, and we're singing the world because we experience his truthfulness, his faithfulness, and his goodness. So let me read a little bit of Revelation 19, and then we're just going to stand and worship. Got a good song ready? You sure? It's so. a good song. Very good song. All right. 
And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For the true and righteous are his judgments. For he has judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of the servants at her hand. Hallelujah, he has delivered us. He has kept his word. And again they said, Hallelujah. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. 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 In the end, it's a hallelujah. It's a praise God. So let's go ahead and practice tonight. Let's join in with the angels. And uh, let's just worship God.